0: It's sunny and minus 4 degrees in downtown Calgary. Good morning from Global News. It's 9 o'clock. I'm Erin Foppel. Calgary's Homicide Unit is investigating after a man was found dead in the city's northwest. It is still in the early stages and police say they were called to the 6100 block of Thornaby Way around 2.30 yesterday afternoon. The call came in as a suspicious death. When officers arrived, they found a man in his late 20s, early 30s, dead in a detached garage. Police say the man is not known to the people who live in the house, and investigators are trying to identify him. An autopsy is scheduled for Monday morning. More news in a moment, but first, 770 CHQR helicopter traffic.
1: I'm over in the northwest, and I'm looking at Shaganabby Trail at 40th Avenue, where we do have some signal work that's going to be ongoing. It's going to start up again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., but they have taken a break for the day. A message from Canadian Blood Services. There's an immediate need for blood.
2: Over 1,000 open appointments in Calgary to fill this month. Book now at blood.ca. From the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm
0: Vanessa Arate. Police are investigating after a man was stabbed in the northeast early this morning. Officers say it happened at the Saddletown LRT station around 3.30. The victim managed to get to the nearby CPS district office where police called EMS. He is being treated for minor injuries and one person has been arrested. Alberta's transportation minister says the government will watch closely to monitor the effect that new federal vaccine mandates have on the trucking industry. Rajan Sawani says the pandemic and recent flooding in British Columbia have shown that the supply chain is both critical and fragile. Canadian truckers must now be fully vaccinated if they want to avoid quarantine and a pre-arrival molecular test, while unvaccinated American big riggers are to be turned back at the border. The town of Jasper is in ongoing talks with Parks Canada, an attempt to change development rules and reduce its payments to Ottawa. Jasper pays land rent about 6% of its revenue each year. The town's chief administrative officer, Bill Givens, says that fee will increase going forward, despite the population of Jasper and the tax pool remaining relatively steady.
1: So it means that this burden is going to continue to increase on the local tax base and is it going to continue to drain money that we could otherwise invest in the infrastructure, the critical infrastructure in our community that serves both locals and visitors?
0: In a statement, Parks Canada says changes to restrictions on development are not being considered. Take a look at sports. Novak Djokovic was being deported rather than playing his first-round Australian Open match on Monday. The nine-time defending champion was scheduled to play a night match on day one in a program announced on Sunday, while Djokovic was still in legal limbo. Three judges in the federal court later upheld the Immigrations Minister decision to cancel the visa the vancouver connects they're taking part in the lone nhl game today it's a matinee clash at the washington capitals a second game of a back-to-back for vancouver after yesterday's four to one loss to the carolina hurricanes the edmonton oilers were supposed to face the jets but that game was postponed And today may be the last NFL game for Steelers legend Ben Roethlisberger. The likely retiring star quarterback leads Pittsburgh into hostile Arrowhead Stadium for a wild-card playoff game against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs, they easily defeated the Steelers 36-10 when the teams met in the regular season just three weeks ago. There are two other wild-card games in the NFL playoff today. The Philadelphia Eagles, they visit Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks this afternoon. Later, the Dallas Cowboys host the San Francisco 49ers. Global News Sky Tracker weather, a special weather statement is in effect for Calgary. and area, strong wind, snow, blowing snow and a rapid drop in temperature for southern Alberta is expected Monday night. But for today, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of plus three, partly cloudy tonight with a temperature rising to seven by the morning. Tomorrow, mainly sunny and a high of nine, but Monday night, rain showers or flurries and a low of minus 13. For Tuesday, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of minus 12. For Wednesday, sun and a high of minus eight. It is minus 4 degrees at 9.04. Breaking news when it happens. Our next scheduled update at 9.30. I'm Aaron Foppel.
3: Good morning, Winston. Good, Good morning.
4: It's great to be back. <laughs> so, uh... You know, for those that join us regularly on 630 Chad and Edmonton, this is the Garden Show. Um, for those in Calgary that may be hearing us for the first time, this is the Garden Show. So, yeah, welcome to the Let's Talk Gardening guests as well. Uh, their host is um, is off for a few weeks, Merrill Combs. Uh, he will be back, um, but he's off for now. So, so, yeah, hopefully you enjoy listening to us for a few weeks. And, and if you don't, well, he'll be coming back. So you won't have to listen for too long.
2: Yeah. So that means Aaron and I today will be taking, uh, I mean, once we figure out some of this technical stuff, we'll be taking calls and texts from both the Edmonton and Calgary area. So uh, we're kind of just doing a double show.
4: Yeah. So unlike uh, usual, too, you know, I want to add on to this um, new market we're we're in this week as well. Um, we're we're doing the show live from Greenland. So usually we go to the Ched Studios. Today we're doing the show live from Greenland. So there may be a few technical glitches or some maybe sound a little differently. But hopefully we'll get all those kinks ironed out here within the next uh, little bit, and, and we'll have a smooth show. Yeah, yep. for the first time live on location here in Greenland, <laughs> all that took was a,
2: a pandemic, but uh,
4: we're here. <laughs> there you go. So uh, a little bit about us. So Greenland Garden Centre has been in business for over 25 years, just outside of Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Um, we've hosted the show for a number of years. I don't know how many, ten, probably 10 years now. Uh, we have a rotating group of about six or seven hosts, so you'll be hearing different voices if you're in Calgary um, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, My Myself personally, my name is Aaron Gregluck. I'm one of the managers here. I kind of take care of pesticides, Soil, kind of all those garden kind of accessories, and we also have. I also
2: have Winston Gamash here this morning. I'm the annuals grower here. Uh, I also help out in tropicals, sometimes the Christmas departments as well. I
4: I didn't pick any of that up. Sorry, Winston was did a beautiful speech announcing himself, and I didn't get any of it. So let's try again.
2: Yeah, I'm also here this morning with Aaron. My name is Winston Gamash. I'm the annuals grower here at Greenland. I help out in the tropicals department stuff this time of year. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of enjoy anything, anything plant-related is, is my thing for sure.
4: Yeah, he's the smart one. So, you know, if there's a tough question, yeah. if you have a tough question you want to stump us, you know, throw it at Winston. He'll, he'll get it for sure. No problem. No pressure, hey? No pressure. <laughs> anyway, we have a good show for you today. Um, we're finally, I don't know about Calgary, and I'm, I'm assuming weather's pretty similar. We're finally breaking out of our big cold snap here. Uh, we're getting some warmer weather we're going to talk about kind of what that how that affects your garden just a little bit I mean we we kind of like to touch on the weather a little bit because we are big gardeners and weather is important to us so we're going to kind of touch on how that affects things outside Uh, but more importantly this time of year we're, we're focused completely on indoor gardening So we're going to talk about your tropicals, talk about seeding, what you should do, maybe what you shouldn't do would be more important. We'll (laughs) kind of touch on all that as we get through the show here. And then, of course, we'll take your calls and texts. So numbers to call in Edmonton, 780-469-0063, toll-free 1-800-663-0630. And in Calgary, 403-974-8255. And you can text us as well. Uh, we're trying to get that up and running here. But, yeah, send us your, your questions, your calls, and we'll, we'll help you the best we can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think
2: I've got the Calgary text line up and running for sure. just haven't gotten any text just yet.
4: <laughs> okay. So if somebody's in Calgary, they're listening, if they want to text us to try that out, that'd be great. Um, but, yeah, we'll kind of jump into uh, to the weather because I know... It sounds weird to talk about in the middle of January, how the weather affects the garden, but, but all these weather changes and all these cycles we have does play a big role in it. Yeah, I'd say we're extremely lucky. We
2: got the snow coverage we did before and kind of during that cold snap, because that's the kind of cold snap that'll kill pretty much anything if we don't have the snow coverage. So that was, right. that was amazing. Um, and then coming on with that cold period, the extreme temps we saw in most of the province there were, were kind of like a zone three test, not quite as cold as last year's cold snap. Um, so we shouldn't see as much winter injury from that, but uh, the winter still... Yeah, we might get
4: another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're talking like winter's over here, and unfortunately, that's that is not the case. No. Um, but you know, we—I guess we hope. You know, maybe it is. Um, good snow cover, which is great. There is still snow cover out there, which is great, at least in the Edmonton area. Calgary, I know if you're if you're different, let us know. Um, the snow cover is great for protecting the roots and that. What about exposed branches? Like, are we going to get dye back on things or?
2: I I I think as long as you're working with hardy varieties, anything above the snow line, like those zone three trees and and shrubs, they we shouldn't have hit kill temps for any of that. And we had such a nice long, beautiful, mild fall. Everything hardened off extremely well, so I, I think we we shouldn't be seeing issues from that. And even just like thinking about how the. The evergreens have almost gotten greener as the winter went on. They, they were a little sad this summer, but they're looking good
4: now. Yeah. yeah, they went from a really hot, hot, dry summer to now winter, which with a lot of snow cover, which you know is a pain for us shoveling and dealing with roads and driving. But as gardeners, it, it's great. And one thing I will caution: I know I was looking at the weather coming up, and we do have like plus plus four plus five coming up we have all these temperatures there's things you can do in the garden and maybe we'll touch on that after a break but just watch for snow missing from evergreens like if you start to see snow receding away from your plants might be time to do something yeah any of those
2: low growing like those junipers and stuff that are meant to be below the snow line the the of them could be melting out of the snow in this kind of weather so you might have to shovel a little more snow on them but uh, that's, that's something that's easy to do when we got this much snow, for
4: sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, sh- it shouldn't be hard to uh, to find some, some snow to cover. Um, there are a couple of things you can do, too, though, with these plus temperatures. You know, we always talk about during the year, you know, you can apply this product. And then if we have our usual melt in January, February, you can apply it again. So things like uh, animal protectant or animal mm-hmm. repellents. If you are in the country or you're in the city and you have a lot of rabbits around, or you're just concerned about protecting new trees, you can spray some of these things now when we have plus temperatures. Yeah, on like a warm sunny day, um, like
2: even something like your dormant oil, that's probably not gonna be great if we're going back into cold, but uh, your garden sulfur, which helps with like all those dormant mites and things. um, With these days above zero, you'll see buds starting to swell on a lot of species. They're nowhere near breaking, um, but the trees are swelling buds. I noticed the Swedish aspens are swelling. The, The lilacs are swelling a little bit last week. And uh, something like that sulfur spray, if you are dealing with like a dormant mite or any sort of pest that you would normally put that sulfur spray on, you, you could totally do that on an on above zero day if you wanted to.
4: Yeah, and if you're out in the country, you deal with deer, moose or rabbits or mm-hmm. something, you could spray things like plant skid, which is a blood-based repellent but repels based on scent. It has to be above zero to spray, so you can definitely go out there and do that. And if you did it in fall, you say you did it at the end of October now, it would be the time to refresh that for protection all the way into spring. Uh, or if you have like rabbits in the city, you have maybe young fruit trees or something that you're concerned about the bark. You know, As the snow piles up, food kind of disappears. So <laughs> maybe go out there and spray some of those fruit trees with something like a no-bite or a plant skid. Or you can sprinkle some blood meal around them just to help kind of repel some of those critters that are getting into your plants whether they be new or old so mm-hmm. so yeah this break in the weather is a perfect kind of opportunity to do that so mm-hmm. yeah anyway we'll be back with more of your calls, texts and uh, information after our break here
2: everybody. Welcome back to the gardening show slash Let's Talk Gardening with Aaron and Winston this morning. Kind of doing two shows in one, and we're just talking about all, all things pertinent to gardening this
4: time of year. And I think it's it's a great time to segue into that indoor gardening, which is the kind of garden that should be happening. <laughs> yeah, this is the indoor gardening season still. I know we've had some nice weather outside, uh, but we're not quite into that uh, into that out, uh, outdoor gardening phase yet. I know people are antsy. You get a little bit of nice weather, you get the days getting longer, you know. People are maybe a little bit bored after Christmas. We'll t- we'll touch on that in a bit. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get into the indoor season here pretty quick. Uh, we do have a call though on the line from Gina, so yeah, we'll take that first. Good morning, Gina. Good morning. How are you? How are you? How are you?
3: I'm okay, thanks. Um, I have a question um, about little. Well, to me, they're like little fruit flies. Is it possible that my tropicals are? are are harboring these like making these little fruit flies multiply do plants do that or is that an issue outside of plant? yeah it, it sounds like fungus
2: gnats to me which is a very common problem um with indoor plants especially over the winter they're like a little tiny fruit fly that likes yeah. to live off of the organic matter in your soil um, um, so so, how do, how do we control those here,
4: <laughs> Aaron? Yeah, well, they're they're very common in winter. Um, they can come from a plant. So if you bring a new plant in, they can come in. They can come in through soil. So if you transplant recently with, with soil, that could come in with that. Um, they happen when there's too much fungus in the soil, usually when people overwater or they get a little heavy-handed with watering, especially over winter. Plants aren't really growing a lot so they're not using a lot of water. So if you kind of follow your same watering schedule that you always have, you'll find that there's Too much moisture there, and you know it tends to lead to more fungus and more fungus. That so the first tip I give is is watch your watering while that thing's dry out. Okay. Yeah, and, don't, yeah, and don't, don't keep the surface of that surface soil so constantly moist. A, a lot of people will just give just a little bit you know, of water every day. You know, they take a little measuring cup and they go around and they just give every plant a little bit of water every day. That's, that's, not, that's not the, the way, way to do it. You really you want, to want to do that wet-dry cycle. So you'll take your plant to the sink or wherever. You'll soak it thoroughly, let it run through a few times, and then let it dry out for 10 days, 14 days, depending on the plant, obviously. But let it dry out at least that top two inches of soil dry out. That will help if you start doing that for sure.
3: That's that's the that's what I usually do is like to okay, bring probably. it to the sink and, yeah. and just yeah. soak it and. Um,
5: okay, and did and you do any repotting or anything like that or I don't know. I don't know?
3: Well, I, I, there is a couple plants that I did like bring in from outside, so maybe maybe that's the maybe that's the cause.
4: Okay. Okay. Um, So, yeah, that that can can be where it leads from. from. Um, Um, What what I would try to to do, if if you can, can, uh, is... is, 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 Have you seen those yellow sticky traps before? Yes, I have. Yeah, so put those in your plants. Those will help catch the adults that are flying around. Okay. So the less adults flying around, the less eggs there will be laid in the soil and less chance of you having more fungus gnats. Okay, I'll get the that. Yeah, and the yeah, other yeah, thing the you thing do, there's you a product out there called call mosquito dunks or mosquito bits. bits. It's a bacteria. Yeah. The bacteria kills, kills larvae larvae as, as, uh, mosquito larvae uh, mosquito as bits. bits. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, it, kills so it, it kills mosquito, mosquito larvae, larvae and fungus net larvae, larvae. larvae. So you, so you soak this in water in a water can or a jug or whatever, and you use that water to water your plants and that will help kill those larvae that live in the soil.
5: So you're catching the you're catching the adults in here and you're killing the larvae in the soil. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll
4: try that. Yeah, give yeah, that a try. Give it some time. It's not going to be an immediate, immediate fix. And, and, and just really watch the watering. Water. If you have to let you things dry out a little bit more at this, this time, time that's, that's okay, okay as long as it's all something all that can something. handle that. Great. Right. Okay thank
2: you very much. I'll try those things. Have a great day,
3: guys.
4: Yeah, you too. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, fungus gnats is something we we
2: just every day day we hear about. Yeah, they're kind of everywhere. I'm sure I've got some... I always notice they congregate under my grow lights. Like, I've got some somewhere in my house, because there's always a bunch of dead ones under my grow light. Uh, And whenever you get a little heavy handed, even when we have spring crops here in the greenhouse, we have to watch. Like, we start seeing a lot of shore flies and, and fungus gnats. It's probably a sign and we're being a little generous, generous. with the water.
4: So, yeah, so, it, like you said. It is a good indication that maybe your watering habits need to be adjusted or maybe just your practices in general. Um, you know, a lot of people will go into the mistake of maybe doing some repotting at this time or repotting it early in fall because, you know, they're, they're going from outdoor outdoors to indoors. Maybe they're bored, they don't have to garden, so they, they repot all their plants. But you're repotting your plants when your plants are going kind of semi dormant. So they're not so going to use, use the extra, extra pot and they're not going right? to use the extra soil in that pot, pot rather. They're not going right? to fill, that, fill pot up, that pot up, so that leads that to extra moisture, leads to fun that. Things so, that. Just, so just just watch just them things. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 But it's, speaking uh, of tropicals, with our longer days, with our nicer weather outside, your tropicals are probably starting to need some attention.
2: Yeah, as we see the days getting longer here, it's it's kind of a sign for everything to start waking up again. I noticed on a few of my house plants and, and things, some of my figs my that were sitting dormant and things like that, they're just naturally starting to wake up now as we approach that 12 hours of daylight again. And uh, that's, that's a perfect time to think about things like taking cuttings, um, the repotting. Uh, checking, uh, checking everything if it needs pruning, pruning before so the growth cycle starts that so that can be a perfect time of year for
4: that and watch too because now you will maybe need a little bit more water or water more often wow. you, may, you may want to start fertilizing within the next month or month and a half so so all those things are something to keep in mind as the plants kind of grow into their traditional growing season which kind of starts from, you know baseline about March right? yeah.
2: yeah, yeah
4: you'll see like you should see some really good signs
2: of growth by March for sure with our days getting longer and, and, and warmth. <laughs> I feel like everything, even if you're in your house and you're chilly, chances are your, your plants are in your house and they're chilly too. So those cold weeks we had, everything was probably just as chilly as you were.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to uh, to keep anything super warm when it's uh, minus 35 outside, even, you know, in the nice house. And especially when things are closer to windows, we need as much light as we can get in winter uh, for our plants. If things are near windows, you know, it's just not a not a good recipe for success. And the dryness too. Like now, you know, as things start, to get warmer, uh, houses will, will become a little less dry, a little more humid, so that will help uh, help all your plants as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking uh, speaking of, plants, of plants, now is now the season it to, 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 it to go out there and look for house plants. plants.
2: Yeah, this is the, the time of the year when all the garden centers are in kind of full tropical swing coming here through January, February. It's the, certainly the time of year where everybody wants a little more greenery and, and we definitely got it for you. I know here at Greenland we've got a couple good shipments coming in this month. I think one sometime even this weekend or early this week will be on all the floor and just all sorts of anything you can want. (laughs) Bob does a great job of ordering the stuff here, but we've got color, we've got larger tree form things, we all see all sorts of green, greenery. Yeah,
4: and uh, we have some unusual stuff too. Uh, You know, houseplant trends are are amazing. You know. One plant could be so popular uh, one day and then even two months later, you see it and it's just sitting on the shelf. Last year, to give you some frame of reference here, last year we, we usually close for two weeks uh, the beginning of January and then we opened the store back up. We just opened the store, so the store yesterday. Last year we had a lineup of probably 150 people all scrambling for certain plants and we had people pushing, shoving, fighting over these plants. Uh, And And, you know, know, three four months later, the plants are sitting on those same plants are sitting on shelves, and you know, the demand isn't there. So there's a real trend in in house plants, and it's very difficult to kind of map that trend.
2: Yeah, like we're we're trying to keep in what seems trendy or anything that's new. But sometimes you're ahead of the trend. Like sometimes we'll get something really new and cool, and they'll sit for a few months before people know it's available. Um, But yeah, people are
4: really into I think
2: just colorful foliage and mm-hmm. irrigated things these days especially. And the kind of trend is definitely. And easy stuff.
4: I mean what are some, yeah. w- if you had to pick you know, say somebody's listing, they haven't really gone to house plants or maybe they have one or two and they want to kind of expand what would be like three species or three types that you'd probably kind of recommend?
2: Yeah one of, some of my favorite like super easy care house plants would be things like, like the snake plants, the Sansevieria, they come in so many different colors and shapes and sizes uh, those all you need to do to keep them happy is just neglect them a little bit they're definitely easy to overwater but other than that, that. I know I, I typically tend forget to forget to, forget to forget the water, the water house plants rather than hope for a lot of them. Uh, yes, uh, yes the various, and various, any of the pothos, pothos, those come light, in a lot of different colors too. Big, big vine plants, lots of lush, lush growth. And, 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 and both, both those things are lower light, lower light tolerant, to, tolerant to, too. Nothing, nothing will grow like in like a dark closet or room with no windows, but lower light is is what most people have in their homes. Those are great choices for that. I'd probably throw in a lot of the... um, People are super into the peperomias these days, too. So many different colors, shapes, textures, sizes, and uh, also very, very easy to grow. So kind of that... That nice mix of a little, little, little bit of a collector's plant, but also, also not something that, that you're, gonna you're gonna have to build a greenhouse in your living <laughs> room to keep <laughs> it healthy.
4: Yeah, it's it's all good if it's a collector's plant, it's rare and unusual. But it's, if it's very hard to care for, uh, you know, it, <laughs> it becomes uh, qu- quite a challenge to actually care for and keep alive. So, so yeah, those those um, those collector plants, which are maybe a little bit easier, uh, would be kind of what you're looking at.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm 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 super amazed with how a lot of people have been. Doing Doing with these collectors
4: plants there they're doing they're doing great <laughs> so we do have to go to our first uh, news break here we'll be back uh, after that with uh, more of your calls texts and we're going to talk more on uh, tropicals so yeah we'll see you after this
0: it's sunny and minus three degrees in downtown calgary good morning from global news it's nine i'm aaron faupel a suspicious death call has called Calgary's Homicide Unit investigating after a man was found dead in the city's northwest community of Thorncliffe. Officers arrived around 2.30 yesterday afternoon where they found a man in his late 20s, early 30s dead in a detached garage. Police say the man is not known to the people who live in the house and investigators are trying to identify him. And police are investigating after a man was stabbed at the Saddletown LRT station around 3.30 this morning. He's being treated for minor injuries and one person has been arrested. Thousands of customers in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick and PEI remain without electricity one day after a powerful winter storm blew through parts of the Maritimes. A special weather statement is in effect for Calgary and Aero. For Monday night, a mix of sun and cloud today though with a high of plus 3, temperature rising to 7 by tomorrow morning and mainly sunny for the day, and then Monday night, showers or flurries and a low of minus 13. It is minus 3 degrees, breaking news when it happens. Our next scheduled news at 10, I'm Erin Foppel.
4: Good morning everyone and welcome back to the Garden Show. You're here with Aaron and Winston this morning. We're on the Garden Show in 6.30 chat on Edmonton and as well as Let's Talk Gardening on 770 CHQR in Calgary. So for those in Calgary that may be just joining us and wondering, you know, who are these two guys talking about gardening? uh, Your usual guest uh, or your usual host Merrill Combs is off for a little bit. So you're going to be getting uh, different hosts uh, throughout the the weeks here uh, from the Edmonton Show. So yeah, I hope you enjoy and hope you maybe pick something up or you know send us some comments or, or calls uh, get a little different perspective on things. So so yeah, welcome welcome to the show. I know we've had some technical issues issues with echoing and that. So we're hoping to resolve it. Um, that being said, numbers to call 780-469-0063 out of town 1-800-663-0630 and in Calgary you can also call us 403-974-8255. So yeah, lots of room on the call board if you have anything you want to you want to chat about if you have any questions if you want to try to stump Winston, the expert, you know, definitely, you know, throw those hard questions at us here. Uh, this morning, we've been talking a little bit about the weather, kind of what that, what that brings for us, what this little break in the cold brings for us. Uh, it brings us a chance to do some things outdoors, you know. Get out there, maybe spray some animal repellents if you're worried about deer, rabbits, moose, kind of eating some new trees or new transplants or, or you know, bark on your existing trees. That's some things you can do. Uh, and we've also been kind of ta- talking about tropicals. We've been talking about indoor gardening.
2: Yeah, it's definitely the time of year for indoor, indoor gardening, like we were saying. And I, as I was saying just before the break there, I'm I'm impressed with how many people are growing green thumbs these days. A lot of these collector's plants and these stuff that we're bringing in, I know here at Greenland, uh, these, these fancier aeroids, these... Uh, even things like fancier pothos and, and things like that, philodendrons. some of them are very, very tricky to grow, but people are doing amazing. Uh, it might mean they're setting up a separate low grow area or even a little grow tent in their living room, things like that, or a couple extra humidifiers. Uh, but I've seen some really impressive results from these people who weren't into plants at all before, and then they're getting into these really fancy uh, variegated and, and collectors things for sure. It's, it's pretty impressive.
4: Well, I think it's just like any skill. You know, if you start with easy, you know, you start with some of those, like you were saying before the break. Start with, you know, Sansevieria, maybe a spider plant, uh, um, you know, peace lilies. If you start with the easy, uh, you kind of get those basic skills down. You know, you live with that plant for a year or two. You kind of know how to water plants now. You know what to look for. You know when a plant is happy. You know when it's not happy. You know what kind of areas in your house work. Uh, I think once you take those kind of baby steps, and you can then kind of go on to those, um, those more difficult, uh, more collector plants, and actually have a chance to keep them alive. And I think the other thing, too, is, you know, as much as sometimes the message boards and the online communities um, put out a little bit of misinformation, and Winston, I'll let you kind of tackle some of that, Um, you know, people are more informed than ever, and they're willing to put the work in. They're not just saying, well, it didn't survive, oh, well, too bad, Um, you know, I'll just try something else, or I'll just give up. People are, are willing to put the work in.
2: Yeah, I think people are willing to put the work in and people definitely seem like, I think in interacting with customers in the last couple of years, I've noticed people are a lot more interested in actually kind of more the background of growing things and how things are working or like why that didn't work out um, and kind of more of the science and stuff behind things like pest management and nutrients and things like that. Um, Like I'd say like. A few years back, like how many gardeners actually knew the difference between like micronutrients and macronutrients? And now like there's, there's whole lines of fertilizers for, for both. And people actually know what they're looking for when, when they're looking for that indoor plant maintenance. Like they know they need something like staple for their macros to keep their plants healthy. That's kind of like the bulk of the plant's diet, keep it it nice and happy and growing big. But then with things like the micros, people being super into things like worm castings and, uh, the kelp extracts and stuff these days, those full suites of micros also make the plant overall another step healthier and, and even more easy to care for, for sure.
4: Yeah, I noticed uh, last year we had a big boom in January, February of people looking for things like worm castings, people looking for organic fertilizers. It used to be when you grow indoors, you know, you'd pick your synthetic fertilizer, your shaken feed, or your your granular synthetic fertilizer, or your water soluble synthetic fertilizer, and you would just do that, you know, every couple weeks or every month and you'd call it good. Now people are are way more specific about what they're growing in. huge huge increase in, in perlite pumice charcoal all these different growing amendments and huge increase in uh, inorganic in fertilizers as well as organic soil amendments like like worm casting so how do these organic uh, amendments how do these all these help uh, help your plants indoors as opposed to outdoors
2: yeah, I think the biggest thing with those organic amendments is is they're what's called more the bioavailability is different. They're they're in the form usually coming from another source of of a plant source, so they're already in the forms that the plants can readily uptake and use them, and that just makes them um work a lot faster. You don't have to worry about them having to change in the soil or anything or of the chemistry of your water really affecting them that much. And a lot of them are also because of that bioavailability uh, they're really effective even as foliar sprays. So I know a lot of times people will put a bit of the worm castings or the um, the kelp in their, their misting bottle too. And just that little tiny dose every time you mist the plant too, it's super available through the leaves and it can just green everything up. Um, we've got a call on the line from Dwight who wants to ask some questions about his greenhouse. Hi, Dwight. What can we help you with?
1: Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, good morning. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Okay, we can. Um, yes, yeah. I was thinking about uh, putting up a like a temporary greenhouse, a freestanding greenhouse in the spring, and I was just wondering the thickness of the poly so that it lasts more than like one season.
2: Yeah, so if you're using the the typical six mil poly, that should get you quite a few seasons out of it. I know, um, like my parents have a little hoop house back on the farm, and and that's all they use for it. Unless we get a really, really bad cold snap and a heavy snow, they usually get five, six years on that six mil. The biggest thing is um, if you're putting it on when uh, when it's really cold, like if you're putting it on in the spring when it's colder, um, you got to kind of put it on fairly tight and then that way when it heats up it's not super loose and it'll tear in the wind it's kind of a balancing act a little bit on how tight you put it on
4: there. <laughs> yeah you'll okay. see you know the, the tighter the better because you'll see it will sag and especially you know when we get snow eventually with that with that house up you, you know you don't want any of that collecting we obviously have poly roofs all over the place here and we've had all kinds of fun fun with those including one that blew off last year so yeah it's something that you can you can definitely work with uh, one thing I'll, I'll caution you I guess if you're making a homemade greenhouse or if you're you know doing something make sure you leave room for that ventilation yeah you know in uh, in March April, or I guess April May you know beginning in June you know ventilation may not be the most important thing but come those hot months of July and August uh, stuff will cook very very fast in that greenhouse so make sure the walls come up or you have a know, access hatch that opens or the more ventilation the better like in in the greenhouse we can actually open our roof you know the entire roof up and and even sometimes that's not enough to keep the, the heat in check. So just just keep that all in mind when you're when you're planning and, and going to build that thing.
1: Okay, and the other question is that the plastic is clear, correct? Yeah, the
2: plastic is clear. You have a couple routes you can go. You can go with like that six mil poly, or a lot of times for smaller hobby greenhouses, people go with a woven poly product. Those are usually special ordered online. Um, but those don't let quite as much light through, but they are a lot stronger. And for small greenhouses, they also diffuse the light. So sometimes it can uh, make your little greenhouse less of an oven and more
1: of a nice growing space. Could a guy use like watered down um, um, latex paint? Yeah,
2: sometimes people them? sometimes people will whitewash um, the outside. It doesn't stick terribly well to um, poly, and it ends up blocking a lot of the good parts of the light. Um, oh. But you you, sh- you should be fine if it's a smaller structure. That you can also buy little like ten percent shade cloths, and you just put that on the sunniest side on the outside of your greenhouse. Like Lee Valley has them. A lot of little growing centers have them.
1: Yeah. On the sunniest side. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, You're of course. Yeah. There. Thanks for the call. No problem. Bye now. See you. Yeah. Greenhouses can
4: be uh, fun, but can be a challenge. But I mean, that's that's part of the, uh, the the joy of gardening, I guess, is learning how these things work, learning what works for you. And they would be nice. You know, unfortunately, we don't live in BC or something where a greenhouse can be used year round. Really, it's going to extend your season by how, how long, I guess. I, I'd say a good greenhouse, good ventilation,
2: and enough size that you can keep it heated through the cold. Like you, you should be able to buy yourself an extra eight weeks both ways. Um, like unless you're having like a something with a bigger heating system and a furnace and that sort of thing, it's trickier to get into a full three-seasons greenhouse with a hobby greenhouse here. But even just that extra eight weeks both ways, that means you get an extra picking of tomatoes in the fall, and that means you could get your your tomatoes in larger pots even a month sooner right so it it does um it turns our our sometimes 75 frost free days 80 frost free days into like more like 110 115 so that that can make a big difference for a lot of varieties
4: yeah, and it opens the doors on things that maybe you wouldn't try to grow here. You know, if something has a really long season, maybe you can try to grow it in the greenhouse or, uh, you know, just bigger production, bigger plants, more healthier plants. You know, they don't have to fight the wind. You don't have the potential for hail or damage that way. You control how much moisture it gets rather than nature. You know, some years we get rain for days and some years we get no rain, but uh, you control all those things and the humidity and, and all these benefits. So yeah, it's something that's that's definitely cool. It'll help you, you know, on the on the front end and the back end of the season. Um, but unfortunately, it's It's not something that can be done year-round here, but that's how it goes. eh? Uh, We will be back with more of your calls and texts. Uh, We're just heading off to our next break here.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Let's Talk Gardening Show and the Morning Gardening Show here with Aaron and Winston. We're we're doing double duty today, and we're talking about all things indoor growing currently, um, including we had some questions about some greenhouses, we're talking about tropicals, and I believe we have a a call on the line. Uh, Some questions about some tomatoes?
5: Hello. Hi. Hi, it's Marianne.
3: Um, Yes, I want to know when to plant tumbler tomatoes so that, um, uh, like every May, I buy a a big basket of tumblers and they give us about 200 tomatoes per season, which is lovely. But I'd like to try (laughs) starting them myself in the house. So when would I start planting them from seed?
2: Yeah, I would guess that when you buy that uh, tumbler tomato, let's say maybe Mother's Day first weekend in May, there, yeah. it's probably about eight weeks old.
3: So, Only eight weeks, really, to fruit? Yeah. from
2: seed yeah. to fruit. Yeah, it won't eight wow. nine weeks for those determinant types for their their first flowering. I mean that is in a greenhouse environment. Yeah, the biggest thing with, with with those determinants, those bush types, if you start them too soon, and they get a little stunted indoors. That's kind of it. All right. So okay, but if if you give them the uh, that eight weeks head start from Mother's Day, they might maybe only make it to full bloom and stuff by May long. But you're still you're still well ahead of the game. Oh yes.
3: oh yes. Oh yes. Good. Okay. And what about like a The bigger tomatoes, Big Boy or some of the other large tomatoes
2: yeah any of your uh, indeterminate types you can get away with like an eight to ten week start because they're not going to stunt on you Uh, but i think i think that eight weeks is just a good rule of thumb i find a lot of times when i start things the first week in march they're just as nice as the ones that i started the last week in march just because that little extra time indoors doesn't make a huge difference
3: good to (laughs) know good to know and then the fertilizer in the beginning and then once they're mature
2: yeah, so for, for those guys, I just use your regular sort of grow fertilizer, your maintenance fertilizer. To start 2020? funny so that- Yeah, a 20-20-20 or a 10-15-10, something like that, just to keep them nice and healthy. And then uh, later in the season, as they're switching into fruit, you want to make sure, like using a tomato-branded fertilizer that maybe has extra calcium. And it's usually going to have that third number is a little higher, just just to fruit and flower.
3: Good. I'll just let that down. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks
2: for calling in.
4: Yeah, thanks for the call, Marianne. And it kind of leads us into something we we wanted to touch on anyway. Marianne brought up beautifully. When should I start my seeds? Uh, seeds are out. If you go to your garden centers, you go to your box stores, you go to wherever you, you know, all your online seed catalogs, you know, they're mailing them out and you're getting all these seed things. People get very excited about seeding, but it is too early to start seeds.
2: Yeah, it's it's definitely too early. If you look at all your seed packs you've ever seen, Chances are the longest they'll ever say to start before transplant is 12 to 14 weeks, which we still haven't hit yet, like considering our last frost date is mid-May to May long. Um, so things like your perennial grasses, um, I know eucalyptus, so, some of the specialty florist type stuff, those might be really, really long, slow growers. So in the next couple of weeks, I know a lot of my my flower growing plans might be starting Um, a couple of those very specialty things, but chances are you're still very, very far from when you should be starting these things. Some of the hardcore chili pepper growers might get something going, but unless you have grow lights indoors... You're not going to get healthy growth out of seedlings for the next four to five weeks just with our natural daylings.
4: Yeah, I was just going to touch on that. Most people don't have a setup where they can support these seedlings for such a a long amount of time. You know, you can start plants, you can get them growing, you can get them germinated, no problem. Anybody can germinate almost any seed. Um, The issue doesn't become germination, the issue becomes healthy, sturdy, stocky growth. If you don't have that healthy, sturdy, stocky growth, especially you know, starting in, in mid-January, end of February, looking at months and months until they go outside, that plant is not going to be healthy going outside, it's not going to perform well, and you would have been better off to even start with, uh, you know, a month or two later, and, and a little tiny plant, it'd probably do better than the big plant that you ba- barely nursed along inside. So, lights, lights are definitely one that we'll touch on in this show, very important to any really seedling growth, but... Um, but yeah, that time of time of seeding. Um, what would be the first things that you would seed? Like, what are you? What's coming up? You know, in the next couple of weeks, that you maybe would seed. You know, what what are you looking at doing within the next few weeks?
2: Yeah, the first things I ever think about seeding, Erin are uh, some of the woodier herbs. So things like rosemary, sage, thyme, even oregano, they can be very, very slow to start. They're kind of like more of these woody perennial plants. Uh, And those I might think about at about 12 weeks out from transplant, but that's still only, that's maybe mid-February, late February at the earliest. Uh, I might think about some earlier peppers, uh Sometimes if I want an extra early crop of seed onions or green onions at that 10 to 12 week mark, I, I might also start those. But this, it's a very short list. And then a lot of the other things are more in that six to eight weeks. So I'm waiting an entire month, month and a half time I'm, I'm starting other things.
4: Yeah, so definitely check those seed packages. But the other, so the other question I had is, you know, I was before our show here, I went down to the seed racks. I, I like to check out what's new and we'll kind of touch on some of those new seeds uh, shortly. You know, what's new, what's what's looking good. Uh, we have probably in the variety of 8 to 10 storage onion seeds. So most people, when they think of planting onions, they think of you know going to the store, buying a set, uh, so a little tiny bulb, planting it in the ground, and then growing that bulb on. Um, there's probably 8 to 10 varieties of things that you may not have available as sets in seed form. So when are you looking to do those if you're looking to get a, a bulb that you can actually store and not just green green onions?
2: yeah so one of the the things to check on those onions you're looking to start early is whether they're um day neutral short day or long day onions often those storage onions are what's considered a long day onion and those are totally fine to start as far in advance as you want because they're not going to bulb up or think about flowering until our days are very long in the middle of summer Uh, but if you try to start say a short day onion indoors right now uh, which some of the storage varieties might be you'll have to check them they might be meant for fall sowing um they're gonna, they're gonna, kind of basically die on you by by mid June. Um, they're not going to really, really amount to anything. But those long day ones, if you have them just under natural light or even your grow lights up to fourteen hours, they're gonna produce nice little kind of pencil thick starts for you to for you to transplant.
4: So, so that would be one that you may want to look at at doing early. So, some so what's some varieties that would fall under that? Like, I know the most popular onion that I've seen and that people want to grow would be something like a Walla Walla. So, what does that fall under?
2: yeah i think some of those giant sweet onions like walla walla and allison craig i'm pretty sure those are long day onions so they they usually bulb up midsummer they need a lot of food and water through that midsummer period to get them huge like that uh but typically those your, your real sweet onions usually aren't your your storage ones as much uh they have a larger neck that doesn't kind of pinch off for the for the winter but a lot of your storage ones like spanish onions um there's a couple flat types of Spanish onions. I know Scaravati seed has a nice flat top red and a flat top uh, yellow one. They have a very small stem, I guess, like a kind of a stem channel. And when they cure, that that pinches off, and then they don't dry on on you for the winter.
4: So there are some options, and those would be something that you may want to look at relatively soon. Um, we're going to kind of touch on seeds because uh, I know the last few years we've had some issue with, with seed availability. So, you know, just before the show, I was, I was down at the, the seed racks looking what's there. You know, there's a, a lot of good selection, but there's also things that haven't come in yet. So I kind of want to just put it out there that, you know, maybe sh- shop early is what I'm suggesting.
2: Yeah, I think that's great advice there. And shop early, but don't plant them too early.
4: <laughs> yeah, so go out and buy the seeds, and then stare at the seed packs for the next, you know, three or four months. Uh, but maybe, uh, yeah, but don't plant them too early. But yeah, get out there. I know the last few years, we've, we've. I don't want to say there's a seed shortage. You know, I'm not trying to to fuel into some kind of you know hysteria or or, or anything like that. But I just know that things. With shipping and with with availability are a lot harder to get. So if you're if you're a particular gardener that that needs that variety of carrot or you need that variety of cucumber, you need that certain variety, maybe get out there early. Check your your local garden centers. Call your local garden centers. You know maybe you're not ready to go out there and and buy it. Call your local garden centers. I know we take names on a wait list here, and we you know we have good information. Colette here uh, manages our seeds, and she does an excellent job of you know helping people find what they need and and getting those seeds to those people. So so yeah, call your local Local garden centers go out to your local garden centers check what's on the seed rack um you know check for the new stuff that's one of the most exciting parts of being a gardener that's one, one of the most exciting parts of working at a garden center is when we're closed those seed racks start rolling out and, and we get to have a look and see what's there yeah, the
2: seed racks just went out, and I and, uh, haven't had a chance to look at the new things. But I always, I always snag quite a few things. It's just exciting, like new peppers, new flowers. It's always nice to try, like like Aaron said, some new things because you never know like how a variety is going to really perform in your area unless you've grown it before. But it's always nice to dedicate some space to some new fancy things
4: every year. Um, yeah, Winston is uh, is one of those gardeners that probably buys more seed than he plants. <laughs> You know, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but he probably he probably buys you know a bunch of seed and some of it doesn't see the ground. But hey, that's okay. You know, he's a he's a collector. But some of the co- I saw some really cool varieties. Um, we do have to head to our to our, our ten o'clock news break here right away. Uh, I'm going to touch on a few of the really cool varieties that I saw, things that we haven't seen before. So maybe go out there and check for some of these. Uh, and obviously, as more roll in, we'll we'll let you know throughout the shows uh, of some other cool varieties of seeds. But yeah, we are going to our our first our next news break here, and uh, we'll catch. You after
0: this, hey, it's sunny and minus three degrees in downtown Calgary. Good morning from Global News. It's ten o'clock. I'm Erin Foppel. Calgary police are investigating after a man's body was found inside a detached garage of a home in the northwest community of Thorncliffe. Officials say the victim, who is in his late 20s or early 30s, was found after officers reported to the scene of a home in the 6100 block of Thornaby Way northwest. The body was found in the garage, but police say he did not live there and is not known to the residents of the home. In addition, police are working to determine the man's identity. An autopsy is scheduled to take place on Monday. Police are also investigating after a man was stabbed in the northeast early this morning. Officers say it happened at the Saddletown LRT station around 3.30. He is being treated for minor injuries and one person has been arrested. The mayor of Jasper is voicing concerns about commercial and residential land affordability in his town. Jasper pays land rent about 6% of its revenue each year, which ends up being almost $500,000. That fee will increase going forward despite the population and the tax pool remaining steady. Mayor Richard Ireland says he's concerned the tourist destination will become unaffordable for both residents and visitors.
1: We will become more of a resort and less of a community. And that's a future that none of us look forward to.
0: The town has designated a narrow plot of land for an affordable housing complex. It spent more than $6 million on servicing the space, but it cannot get the funding for the actual project. The Baffin Island community of Pangnirtung is dealing with out- dual outbreaks of COVID-19 and tuberculosis within its population of about 1,400. Mayor Eric Lawler says the declaration of the TB outbreak in late November meant there were additional health care workers in the region when the COVID outbreak was discovered. He says the extra staff helped to slow and contain the spread of both COVID-19 and TB. And residents have come together to make sure those who are infected stay home. A man held hostages for more than 10 hours yesterday at a Texas synagogue where he could be heard ranting in a live stream and demanding the release of a Pakistani neuroscientist who was convint, convicted rather, of trying to kill U.S. Army officers in Afghanistan. One of four hostages held at Congregation Beth. Israel in Colleyville was released during the standoff. Three others were rescued when authorities entered the building at around nine o'clock. The FBI say there's no immediate indication the man had connections to any broader plan, but the agency's investigation will have global reach. And Tesla is turning to Mozambique for a key component in its electric car batteries in what an analysts believe is a first-of-its-kind deal designed to reduce its dependence on China for graphite. Simon Moores of United Kingdom-based Benchmark Mineral Intelligence says Tesla is making almost a million electric cars per year and sourcing enough batteries is its biggest constraint. Well, taking a look at sports now, the Novak Djokovic-Australian Open saga appears to be over. Three federal court judges upheld a decision to cancel the tennis star's visa on public interest grounds. It is like it likely means Djokovic, who is not vaccinated against COVID nineteen, will remain in detention until he is deported. A deportation order usually means a three-year ban on returning to Australia. And Roy. And Rory Linkletter raced to a Canadian record in the half marathon this morning in Houston. The 25-year-old, who was born in Calgary but lives and trains in Arizona, crossed the finish line in 61 minutes and 8 seconds. Global News Sky Tracker weather. A special weather statement is in effect for Calgary and area. Strong winds, snow, blowing snow and a rapid drop in temperature for southern Alberta for Monday night. Today, though, a mix of sun and cloud with high of plus 3, partly cloudy tonight. The temperature rising to 7 by the morning. Tomorrow, mainly sunny and 9. But Monday night, rain showers or flurries A low of minus 13 for Tuesday, minus 12. It is minus 3 degrees at 10.04. Breaking news when it happens. Our next scheduled update at 10.30. I'm Erin Foppel.
4: good morning everyone and welcome back to the garden show you're here with aaron and winston this morning we're on the garden show on 6:30, Chad ched edmonton as well as let's talk gardening on 770 chqr in calgary so for those listening in calgary and wondering who these two guys are on your uh, on your radio merrill combs your regular host is away for a few weeks so uh so yeah we'll be taking over um for those that don't kind of know who we are we're uh we're Hosts from Greenland Garden Center, which is just outside of Edmonton. Uh, I've been hosting the show probably for about oh, I would say ten years now, and there's a rotating group of about seven of us. So today, uh, my name is Aaron Gurkuliak. We also have Winston Gamash on, um, and then next week we'll have different hosts. So yeah, you'll get a little taste of gardening um, in Calgary of uh, you know just some different stuff. You know, we're, we share the same climate, we share kind of the same uh, same troubles and that, but you just get a different take on it. So so yeah, uh, this morning we've been talking about a little bit about uh, the break in the weather, what that kind of leads to outside, you know, you can do some of those gardening tasks maybe spray some of that repellent that you didn't get a chance to spray for the rabbits or the deer or the moose. Uh, I'm talking about, you know, if if snow is receding at all from your evergreens, get get out there, pile some of that snow along your evergreens to touch a little bit on about tropicals and indoor growing and then we kind of start on seeds and I, and I do believe we have a call on the line from John so good morning John
1: yeah, Good morning Fine morning down too. here in Cowtown I'll tell you
4: is it a nice, nice morning?
1: Oh, the sun just filling my living room. Oh, no, beautiful. <laughs> well, if you have any indoor plants, they'll be
4: loving it, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, uh, well, that was going to be my one question. Uh, you're talking about uh, indoor plants. for What is the best type for, I guess, giving you pure air, cleaning your air, house air? Yeah, there's a couple of great
2: options for that. Those um, uh, those Sansevieria, those snake plants I mentioned earlier—they're actually on on a list from NASA of top ten plants that are great at cleaning the air. Uh, They also make a lot of oxygen at nighttime, which is good because that's when our indoor oxygen levels tend to go down a little bit. Uh, And and same with spider plants, actually. Spider plants are really good at producing oxygen and also uh, removing impurities like chloroform and stuff from the air that can kind of come out of our building materials. So both those are really great options for for cleaning the air. And what
1: what about temperature? Because I keep my house a little on the cool side at night yeah
2: i'd say like both those plants and a lot of the tougher house plants to be fine as, as long as you're not getting down to like 10 degrees celsius at night
3: <laughs> you should be totally uh, fine with those guys
1: 19 18 oh, you'll in be t- one room i know that
2: you'll be fine at, at those temperatures for sure
1: oh okay and uh, my main question i guess was going to be the uh, best before dates on these uh, package of seeds I have some that uh, 2020, 2021 now. I just wondered, are they still kind of useful? Or?
2: Yeah. So those those seed dates. Um, in order for those big companies to sell seeds in Canada, they just have to test the germination on their product on a yearly basis. So that's just part of their certification. A lot of seeds last for years and years and years longer than that. If you're if you're worried that they're way too old, you could always just plant a couple and see how they come up instead of planting the whole thing. But uh, yeah, the, your seeds, as long as they were stored dry and, and out of the sun, they, they should be totally fine for you.
4: Oh. Yeah and if you if you want to test if you're not sure I have seed from 5 6 years ago that I still use and I don't even check it but if like say it's something very important to you you need this certain plant and you want to check how viable these seeds are you know take 5 seeds put them in a wet paper towel put them in uh, in a bag and and see how many germinate you know do that right now even you're not trying to grow this plant on you're just trying to test to see if the seed is viable if you get good germination rate if 4 out of those 5 seeds come up for you then yeah go ahead and use those seeds if if you don't get good germination if nothing really starts to sprout and grow then maybe maybe replace those seeds so
1: you're saying just to Power, yeah, so get a, power.
4: get a yeah, get a paper towel, wet it thoroughly, wring it out, lay it out flat, um, put you know four or five seeds just on top of that that paper towel, just so they're not touching. Fold that paper towel over a few times, and then just put it in a plastic bag somewhere warm. You know, it doesn't have to be hot; it doesn't have to be in sun, just somewhere warm, and you know, give it a few days, and you should see those seeds starting to sprout. Yeah, simple as that. And that that gives you a good. You don't. You're not trying to grow those plants on. You know, you could theoretically maybe transplant them into soil, although it's way too early. Um, But but it gives you a a basic idea if those seeds are
1: viable or not. Interesting. Well, thank you very much for that. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to. I guess our country down here, because uh, <laughs> we like to have the garden shows, I'll tell you that.
4: Well, thanks. I hope uh, I hope we do it justice, and we'll, we'll try our best over the next few weeks here, for sure. Oh, we'll, we'll keep you in line, I'll tell you. <laughs> Thank you very well, thanks, much. Have a good one. Yeah, thanks for the call, John. Appreciate it. See you. So, hey, first call from Calgary. That's great. I'm going to give the numbers out because I forgot to do that off the top. I was so excited to get to John's call. Uh, In Edmonton, numbers to call, 780-469-0063, toll-free, 1-800-663-0630. And in Calgary, if you want to call like John did, uh, 403-974-8255. Yeah, so there you go it's
2: a really good question with the the seed storage and viability. Seeds are meant to last for a very long time as long as you keep them not moist. <laughs> and even sometimes people like seed vaults store store their seeds just below freezing. I've seen people in an airtight bag keep seeds in the freezer even. And uh certain species that might damage but I I've, I've seen I've seen my grandma pull seeds on the freezer after years and years of of storage. So there's, there's lots of, lots of tips and tricks. And, and the general rule of thumb is, is I think the only thing that doesn't have great long-term seed viability is, uh, onions, I think they say, for some reason. <laughs> like usually a year, year two max, but a lot of other things for, for a very long time.
4: Yeah, and if you're if you're ever in doubt, uh, like I said, just just do that seed germination check and see how it goes. Or you know maybe you don't want to do that. You're, you're a lazy gardener and you just don't feel like doing that, and that's that's totally acceptable. Um, just plant a few extra. You know, unless the seed is very expensive. So unless you're you're buying seeds that cost five dollars for three seeds, or you know something like a wave petunia or, or a rare seed, um, you know it's always helpful to seed a little extra anyway. You know when we seed here, you know we'll seed you know, two or three per cell if you're doing per cell, and then, you know, you let the, the, the nicest one come up and you cut the other two off. So we always thin our seedlings anyway, so seed is cheap, plant a couple more if you can uh, than you need, and that way you're sure to get something uh, when you're planting. Yeah, we do have to go to our, uh, our next commercial break, and then we'll be back with your calls and texts after this.
2: Good morning, everybody welcome back to the gardening show and let's talk gardening with Aaron and Winston this morning uh, the numbers to call are 780-469-0063 or one 800 663 630 and we did also get that text line working so that Edmonton number 780-469-0063 will get you to our texts we have here and uh, the Calgary number to call is 403-974-8255 talking about all things gardening this morning as usual we're kind of into uh, indoor gardening and seeds and seed viability everything like that this morning and i believe we have clark on the line with some questions about sweet peas hi clark what can we help you with
1: yeah thank you very much enjoy this program weekly every week um i just had a picture of an east-facing patio uh that is a um window of mine a uh, bay window with a big house plant a friend gave me i don't even know the variety but i'd like to grow an edible pea year round uh uh in this window uh, you know by, by hanging it as this plant is, is strung out to the ceiling i wonder is that possible in this climate to grow an edible pea uh year round indoors if you switch them up uh, wise.
2: yeah it, it depends on the variety. Some. Of your field peas or kind of like bushier maybe dwarf varieties they're sold as are just gonna be able to fruit and flower on their own sort of timeline as long as they're getting enough light Uh, whereas a lot of times like your full-size trellis peas and stuff like that uh, i think they're daylight sensitive so they're not going to bloom until our days are much longer in the summer anyways um but there's there's all sorts of dwarf like sugar snap peas and things like that and those you would probably be able to get a decent crop on of them indoors maybe maybe eight mm-hmm. months, mm-hmm. months mm-hmm. on the year maybe we do get really dark right in yeah. the dead of winter so without supplemental light it might be
1: hard okay. well that's very helpful i know last year i seem to have just fed the the birds when they started to block <laughs> <it>. <laughs> outside yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, <get> <laughs> I know I, my bees sure were
2: that's terrible that's last year my goodness the,
4: i couldn't get enough water on them <laughs> thank you very much yeah, yeah thanks,
2: thanks thanks for the call,
4: call. Yeah, and just to give out those numbers again, we had a few texts here um, in the studio. We have a nice clear sheet behind us that I always read off the numbers from, <laughs> and so we don't have that here. And I think our our paperwork that we made up is wrong. So yeah, numbers call in Edmonton seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Our our sheet is wrong. It says four six nine, and we're creatures of habit, and we go off what the sheet says. So yeah, in Edmonton seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three, and we do have a call in line. Good morning. I, uh, are you talking to me, Carol? Yeah, good morning. How are you?
3: Good morning. Oh, okay, perplexed. <laughs> okay. Really perplexed. I'm trying to grow ferns. I understand they can grow in shade, and they like moist conditions. Um, these, this guy that I've got now, uh, no. He's he's turning kind of a burnish or, or reddish color on top, and it's dry underneath the, the um the the leaves are kind of tender and green as they should be, but the tops um, it, it just doesn't appear to be happy. I don't okay. know does it need a lot of hum, well, it's right now it's in sort of indirect sunlight. Yeah, do you do you know what type of fern it is? It's a something foot fern.
2: I want to see oh, a like rabbit's foot. like a rabbit's foot? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that that would be in yeah. your temperate ferns category. Um so like you kind of have tropical ferns and you have temperate ferns. Both of them like that bright indirect light. I'd say this time of year it's really hard to give them too much light um because our days are shorter. Uh even moisture humidity. Um but being a temperate fern too, like I I don't have a rabbit's foot fern, but I think I have a blue star fern and it's kind of one of those temperate um ferns that has the fuzzy feet underneath it too and um okay no the, it, yeah does it have like the kind of rhizomes you can see like the the fuzzier I can stems see between the rhizomes yes i can yeah, see yeah so rhizomes.
3: yeah it, it is they
2: typical for exposed, those right yeah they should be exposed and it is typical for those to just be a little bit on the um, sadder side for the winter cuz they do normally come from a place with a winter rest Uh, so like if you're getting a lot of your foliage turning brown or reddening that's kind of just like winter winter happening to them and uh, as soon as our days hit more around 12 hours here in the next few weeks you'll see a lot of fresh growth will be coming from from those rhizomes so they kind of will renew on an annual basis like that
3: okay now they don't like to sit they don't like to have their feet in wet soil do they yeah, not. Or, they don't like to have
2: their their toes in the water, but they do like moisture. So they're one of the few things I would consider maybe slightly over potting, so the moisture stays wet, but uh, making sure there is still good drainage.
3: Okay, all righty. So it is indirect sun. I know they don't. Uh, I know ferns don't like to be exposed this mm-hmm. is direct sun. So this is kind of indirect sun um so that should be this is just the way they behave in winter with this rabbit's foot guy right yeah they
2: can be like i said a little bit on the sadder side because normally they're from like kind of a a coastal temperate climate that does actually get a bit of a winter so they'd be kind of sleeping right now
3: oh so i shouldn't be waking up (laughs) yeah well it's gonna
2: wake up here pretty soon for you but it, it sounds like it uh it'll it'll be just fine here coming into spring maybe just support it with a little bit of fertilizer as it is getting that new growth
3: Okay, so you were just, earlier. You were talking about. Do I can you put worm castings in potted plants, indoor potted plants?
2: Yeah, yeah, you can make a worm tea out of that and water things in, or even just sprinkle some on top of the soil between your waterings, or, or however, it helps add a lot of nice um, microbial life and, and micronutrients to the soil.
3: Okay, great. Well thank you. So I okay, so I shouldn't give up on it and throw it out. <laughs> no. <laughs> I
2: wouldn't give up on it okay. yet.
3: <laughs> okay, good. Thank you so much for your help. Have a good day. Yeah, thank
2: you for the Bye. call. You too.
4: Yeah, so just one thing I'll say is that worm castings, um, they're not a sub substitute for fertilizer by themselves. I mean they're a good backup plan and organic fertilizers in general, I've kind of moved away from synthetics and water solubles into the organics because of that insurance policy you know you mix it up when you plant it outdoors or indoors or you sprinkle some on top every month and it's just a good insurance policy if you don't fertilize or if you forget to fertilize or whatever so the worm casting isn't going to be the only thing you do but it's definitely going to help and it's definitely going to be that kind of backup insurance policy yeah we do have another call on the line we have uh, mary good morning mary
5: Oh, uh, good morning. Uh, first of all, it's a good thing you corrected your phone number. <laughs> Some poor lady's <laughs> been getting all these calls. I felt sorry for her. Well, we
4: were—we uh, creatures of habit, like I said. We have a sheet in behind us that gives the phone numbers. We just read off it, and there you go. And our sheet is wrong, so we just kept reading the wrong ones. There you go.
5: <laughs> yeah, she asked me how many times have I called that number. I said oh, only once. <laughs> anyway my question is about my saskatoon bush it's about 12 feet high and all the best berries grow up at the top and it's getting just too tall you know we we'll have to use the ladder how can what can i do to bring the berry producing branches down to a, a pickable level <laughs>
2: yeah when they start to get on a hand like that it's time to kind of think about rejuvenating them um my favorite way to do that saskatoons can take a heavy prune I usually oh. just pick the, the, if, for Saskatoons, about, about half the growth can be removed without damaging it. So, really? to, that much? To re, yeah. So, to rejuvenate those, um, they, they only fruit on like second year or older wood, but usually not much after four years. So, they can start to get out of your reach there. So, usually what I do for those is I'll go in in the spring, um, kind of just as things are waking up there, end of April, early May, and I'll take out fifty percent of the tallest, largest uh, trunks right back to a bone six to eight inches off the ground. Really? Uh, yeah, and that okay. will because um, a lot of times you know how they kind of grow as a clump like multiple stems together. Yeah. yeah so you can just remove the biggest ones one year and then the other year you cut back the other ones, and that won't really interrupt your fruiting cycle at all and it can just just rejuvenate them a lot of times in production, like these u picks and stuff, every five, six years, seven years, they just mow them right to the ground and let them rejuvenate but for for a home scale, it's better if you only remove about half the the growth at a time.
5: And so this way, it'll send up new shoots from the bottom that'll produce fruit. Like-
2: yeah, and you'll, there'll probably be more shoots, and because there's more shoots, the same root system won't be able to push those as tall. So they'll they'll stay yeah. a little bit more within reach. And, th- oh. and
4: this way too, you don't have to get on the ladder to pick your to pick your berries. Oh, you know, you'll actually I get know. something. You'll get oh, something I know. before the bird before the birds get them all.
5: Oh, I know last year was a tremendous year i guess the heat i don't know but oh the berries were just beautiful last year yeah. but uh, kind of out of reach in some places <laughs> well it'll take a few years
4: like if you can cut some of it back now like every year if you can work on lowering the height you'll get there eventually where it becomes a lot more accessible to you and the bonus will be you'll have more berries and a more accessible plant so there you go yeah
5: okay thank you very much
4: of course yeah thanks for the call mary i appreciate it
5: okay bye
4: we, we just have a few minutes here before we get to our next uh, news break so we're gonna do some text now that we have the text line working uh, I'm gonna rapid fire them over to Winston uh, one sec here any luck on okay, so first text here any luck on my mugo pine growing new needles the deer stripped all but the top so I'm assuming this is a young plant or a recently transplanted plant uh, any luck
2: yeah so mugos won't regrow needles on old growth um, if the deer left the growing points there like if you can still Still see buds at the ends of the little branches they stripped. Those should like leaf out. They should grow needles this spring. Um, but unfortunately, with pines, they won't regrow green growth on on old wood. So that one, it might just be a, kind of a lollipop tree
4: now. <laughs> yeah, you, you got a, a, a mugo pine on standard now. You know, just give it some time. Uh, see, honestly though, see what happens. Um, the the biggest thing with gardening is patience. You know, give it give it uh, into May and June and see what it looks like. If you can live with it, if it looks okay, if it's growing, if it seems healthy otherwise and you and you don't mind the look, go for it. Uh, if it looks terrible, well, maybe time to time to replace that, right? Uh, one more quick text here. Uh, please tell me when to bring out my geraniums, cannas, and begonias.
2: Yeah, so a lot of my geraniums are kind of naturally coming out of dormancy right now, whether I want them to or not. So I put them in a sunny window and I'm starting to water them. Uh, but for cannas and dahlias, we're still waiting... You usually don't want to force growth from them until later in February. So,
4: Yeah, so that'll take us to our news break, and we'll see you after this.
0: Hey, it's sunny and minus 2 degrees in downtown Calgary. Good morning from Global News. It's 1030. I'm Erin Foppel. A suspicious death call has Calgary's Homicide Unit investigating after a man was found dead in the city's northwest community of Thorncliffe. Officers arrived around 2.30 yesterday afternoon where they found a man in his late 20s or early 30s dead in a detached garage. Police say the man is not known to the people who live in the house and investigators are trying to identify him. And police are investigating after a man was stabbed at the Saddletown LRT station around 3.30. He's been treated for minor injuries and one person has been arrested. Tsunami advisories have been lifted for coastal BC, Japan, Hawaii, Alaska and the U.S. Pacific coast following a massive underwater volcanic eruption that sent waves nearly a metre high crashing into the island nation of Tonga. Satellite images show a plume of ash, steam and gas rising like a mushroom above the Pacific. The extent of the damage is unknown after the eruption cut internet to Tonga. And after six years, the legal battle over Prince's multi-million dollar estate is over. The performers' heirs have accepted the $156.4 million valuation agreed to by Internal Revenue Service and the estate's administrator. That means the process of distributing the star's musician's wealth could begin in February. Prince did not have a will when he died of a fentanyl overdose in 2016, and his estate will be almost evenly divided between a New York music company and the three oldest of his six heirs or their families. A special weather statement is in effect for Calgary and area. Strong winds, snow, blowing snow and a rapid drop in temperatures expected for southern Alberta on Monday night. Today though, a mix of sun and cloud with a high of plus 3. Partly cloudy tonight, the temperature rising to 7 by the morning and tomorrow mainly sunny and a high of 9. For Monday night, rain showers or flurries with a low of minus 13. For Tuesday, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of minus 12. Wednesday, sun and a high of minus 8 it is minus two degrees breaking news when it happens our next scheduled news at 11 i'm aaron good
2: morning welcome to the gardening show and let's let's talk gardening with winston gamash and
4: and aaron grkuliak he didn't want to say my last name so that's why he didn't even try i said gamash grkuliak it's not that hard no it is it is pretty difficult I don't know. It's kind of like, it's, it's different. It's different. <laughs> um, the
2: numbers called this morning are 780-496-0063 or 1-800-663-0630. Or from Calgary, 403-974-8255. And we do have the Edmonton text number working. So 780-496-0063 will get you to our, our text board here. Uh, we do have a call on the line from Deborah about Scotch Moss. What can we help you with,
3: Deborah? Here I planted gotch moss for the first time and so I'm just gazing out to my backyard wondering if it's gonna come back this spring. And if it does, how long does it take to kinda of get back to its like its potential? Um, like does it take very long to <clears throat> excuse me, show up green again?
2: Yeah, the Scotch moss. It's um, it's one of those shorter-lived perennials, but it is constantly reseeding itself. It's actually kind of more of like a tiny grass, sort of in a way, than than a true moss. Uh, it, it should be hardy, and this year we got great snow cover. So if you do see it start peeking through the snow, even in early spring, you got extra snow to shovel on it. That'll help for sure. Uh, but it should be pretty green right right under the snow as as things start warming up. It'll start greening up even before the ground is fully thawed. One other question. Um,
3: I've tried for a number of years to get canary vine seeds to germinate and have no no luck. I've scarified them, soaked them, tried just about everything I could think of. I'm wondering if you have any tips or...
2: Yeah, I think sometimes with the canary vines, it's, it's just tricky to find seed that has good viability. So I'd say just sow more than you ever need with those. They also don't really love being disturbed. So I'll usually just take like a four inch pot and I'll put five or six seeds in and hope that one or two of them grow. Uh, okay, it's just so kind of tricky. how they is. Yeah. That, that soaking in warm water for a couple of hours can definitely help. But I, I think a lot of them just have very low viability. So you gotta, you gotta just Keep plant trying. a lot of them.
4: Yeah. Okay.
3: But thanks yeah, for
4: helping. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I tried some of those canary uh, bird vine seeds a few years ago. And I remember, you know, I usually sow into those jiffy pellets. And I know it took weeks and weeks for them to come up. So I don't know if the viability is just not that great or what it is. But germination was very spotty. I did eventually, I think, get one to, to grow. I uh, didn't do a lot, but I mean, I, I did get one. But yeah, it's something that's just not reliable. You can find those in the Livingston seed line, which is a, a part of Mackenzie seeds. Um, at least in the previous years, you can find those seeds. And if you haven't seen them, look it up, canary bird vine, uh, really cool yellow flower, looks like a canary, that's why it has the name, but yeah, something cool that you can grow but um, just, a, just a little more challenging I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, we uh, we do have some text now that our text uh, line is working, so uh, we'll read one here. Good morning, Lori. here. Through research, I found suitable plants for my very bright southern exposure windows, and I purchased two Norfolk Island pines. The windows do not get super hot in the summer, as our large eaves will shade them from the intense summer sun. Do you have any tips on how to care for these plants so they will thrive? Yeah, hey, the Norfolk pines are a great choice for a brighter
2: window like that. They are... Um like not a true pine, they're an evergreen. They're actually kind of more tropical than they look. So they're going to enjoy consistent moisture, good drainage, um, and they grow almost con- like continuously throughout the year. So I'd say supporting them with a nice balance, like 20, 20, 20 fertilizer is, is going to be really important, keeping those guys nice and lush, because it's easy for those guys, if they get underfed, to start getting a little leggy and a little kind of like naked on the bottom to start losing branches. And, and like most evergreens, those won't really grow back. So you just want keep to them, keep them as happy as possible, even moisture and, and even feeding.
4: Yeah, and and bright light, right? That is one of the keys. You know, you you want bright light for those year round. So, so in winter, you know, keep it in that window. In summer, if it does get hot, maybe pull a little bit farther back, but try to give it as my, much much light as possible. And you should have uh, happy, healthy trees. I've heard stories of people with you know six foot tall, eight foot tall Norfolk pine in their in their house. So, I mean, they are successful. Maybe may just take some time, right? We do have another text here. Good morning. Uh, I'm considering reducing or eliminating the grass in my yard in order to have more plants that make it more bee-friendly, but I have no idea where to start. Can you give me some quick tips, ideas uh, as well on this? So, yeah, I mean, I would start slow, personally. uh, (laughs) I know it sounds fun to just rip out all your grass, uh, throw in some plants and hope for the best, but I would probably really start slow, Maybe expand your beds that are existing or make maybe make a new bed in the middle of the yard or make a couple new beds in the middle of the yard. I think grass is relatively low maintenance when you think about it. Um, you don't really combat weeds because the grass can kind of combat the weeds itself. Obviously, you can get weeds in your lawn, but it's not the end of the world. If you expose a bunch of soil and a bunch of ground to, and you don't plant anything there, if you just expose all this soil um, to the air and you don't plant anything, you're going to run into some issues.
2: Yeah, it's definitely better to have have do it in like like Aaron said, in manageable steps, so that you can get those beds established really well. And it's also really important when we're thinking about feeding the bees, not just to plant flowers and clovers and things like that, but also uh, a trees and, and shrubby things like that, um, things like maples, like amber maples, hot wings maples. In bloom in spring, feed a lot of bees. Uh, your willows and your hascaps and some other honeysuckles are some of your earliest things to bloom ever mm-hmm. in the spring. So having having your willows, um, even the dwarf forms and stuff in, in that bee landscape is really important for sure.
4: Yeah, so focus on diversity and focus on starting slow. You know, plant a new tree, plant a new fruit tree, plant some flowering trees, shrubs, you know, perennials, whatever you can do. But like I said, the danger of of ripping out the entire lawn is A, you're going to expose seeds that are underneath that soil, underneath the lawn soil. You're exposing those to the air, so those are going to germinate. You're also, nature wants to grow. So if you have a bare field anywhere, you can see this in new developments all the time. There's an empty lot it's full of weeds. Your your yard could potentially become that if you don't slowly plant step by step and let some of that stuff fill in. Once those plants, those shrubs, those perennials are filled in, there's less light to get to the to the ground for those seeds to germinate, there's less space, there's less water, there's less nutrients for those seeds to work with. So the that kind of garden will naturally repel weeds. But it's going to take some time to get to that point so i would say start slow you know do your research plant as many different diversity go diverse as diverse as you can the more you know bloom times you have the more blooming windows you have the better luck you'll have rather than just planting one kind of monoculture species you'll have a lot more luck um, diversifying it um, but do it in stages you know do a little bit every year and i think you'll be you'll be happier in the end Another text here. Uh, I had some scale on my mountain ash, used lime sulfur and horticultural oil spray in September. How will I know that it worked? So. Horticultural oil, lime sulfur, used in combination, sprayed on with water on your mountain ash bark, uh, is one of the treatments for scale. For those that don't know, scale is a sucking insect that lives usually on the bark of, you know, on the trunk and stems of trees and shrubs. uh, And they suck moisture out of the actual tree and shrub, and they protect themselves with this hard scale on the top. That's why they're called scale. So most traditional pesticides don't work on scale. Lime sulfur and horticultural oil are one of the two you know things that one of the things that we can do to actually treat scale and how it works is you actually smother that insect underneath that scale and and you and you kill them hopefully the problem with with spraying horticulture oil and lime sulfur on scale is you can't see noticeable results right away because that hard shell is there even if you kill the insect underneath that shell, it's going to take a season or two for that shell to come off the tree. What you're looking for next season uh, and next growing season coming up here is just the health of the tree. It should look noticeably healthier. Uh, if it had a really bad scale infestation, it should put on normal growth. It should look a lot healthier um, rather than probably quite unhappy as it did last year. Um, and the other thing I would suggest too is, is to do that spray again. Um, you can spray that in fall as well as spring. So maybe you have you know problems on your tree and you didn't do anything in fall. In spring, mix horticultural oil and lime sulfur together. Um, it's easiest if you do it in a hose end sprayer that you just attached your hose. Uh, and spray those mountain ash, usually about beginning of, of, of April or thereabouts. You want to do it... Uh, when the weather is warm, you need to have, you know, a few days in a row above zero. Um, but you also want to do it when the plant buds aren't opening yet. If the plant buds are opening, if you're starting to see leaves develop, it is too late at that point. You can do damage to the tree. So, yeah, I would suggest doing it again in spring and just watch your results next year. Just keep in mind that you may still see those little flecks on the tree bark itself. That doesn't mean it didn't work. It just means that it takes some time for that, that to actually slough off of there. Yeah. Um, We do have more calls, more texts to get to. We're going to go to our our commercial break here. Numbers to call 780-496-0063, 1-800-663-0630. And in Calgary, 403-974-8255. And we'll see you after this. Welcome back to the Garden Show on 630 Shed as well as Let's Talk Gardening on 770 CHQR in Calgary. Uh, For the next few weeks, we are going to be the Edmonton show will be being played in Calgary as well, uh, while Meryl Combs, your regular host, is on holidays, so uh, if you like our show, great, you know, we're going to have rotating hosts, so you won't be hearing myself, Aaron, and Winston again next week, it'll be somebody new, so if you like it, great, and if you don't like it, well, Merrill will be back at some point, and, and you can get rid of us. Uh, Edmonton, though, you're you're stuck with us, so that's that's, that's, that's too bad for you. Uh, great show today, we are talking about kind of a little bit of everything, focusing on indoor growing, seeding, um, some outdoor plant issues, we do have a few more texts now that our text line is, is up and running. Uh, we do have a few more texts to get to, so we're going to kind of jump into that. Uh, Good morning. i have a Joe Zeri clematis uh, that is three or four years old. How can I move it or take cuttings and start a new plant? Which would be better? I'm giving it to Winston.
2: Yeah, See, in, in general,
4: clematis can have pretty sensitive root systems.
2: so I'd say moving it is probably not the best option. Uh, most of your clematis should root really easy from from dormant cuttings here coming into spring of just the growth that grew last year, like the freshest growth possible, or even softwood cuttings in summer. Uh, both times I would use uh, a bit of a rooting hormone and a nice free-draining medium with, with extra perlite or sand. Uh, the other way to propagate glasses that is super easy is, is a, a process called layering. So if you take one of those vines from last year and bury kind of where the old wood meets the freshest shoots from last year, uh, whether it's in a pot this spring or even right into the ground beside your current clematis, uh, by, by like halfway through the summer, especially, or, or definitely by the end of the season, that uh, vine that you buried will have grown a nice root system. You can cut it off the main plant and, and plant it elsewhere. Uh, they they kind of just evolved to naturally root on wherever they touch the ground as they grow, so you can layer them pretty easily that way, so that that's probably your best bet got other texts rolling in here as well. Um, what do we got here? Oh, we got somebody who is dealing with whole shot disease on the princess K plums they planted. Um, they says they purchased the spray for the whole shot. My text glitch in here. Um, and they're just wondering what the dosage for that spray is. I'm guessing they probably got a sulfur spray. Um, they don't. Oh, yeah. They buy a sprayer and a powder. Recommend me. I'm guessing that that's a garden sulfur. Um, I would just use it at the rate it recommends on there for for fungal issues. And do you know what the that rate is off the top of your head?
4: No, if this was me, I would have that rate in my head, no problem. But <laughs> given that it's January, I haven't dealt with that uh, with that particular fungicide in a few months. So I don't have the rate. Check the bottle, or or when it comes time to spray, just give us a call at the store, and we can definitely give you that rate. Um, they they were also concerned that they didn't see a noticeable effect, but fungicides don't work as a preventative thing once or as a sorry as a treatment. They work preventatively. So once you saw that shot hole fungus, once you saw those holes in those plants, the fungicide was not going to do anything. For those holes what the point of the fungicide is is to stop it from happening so when those plants leaf out in spring or say you know you usually get that shot hole fungus in mid-june or whatever it is time it a couple weeks before when you usually see that fungus occurring and that could be for anything it could be for shot hole fungus powdery mildew whatever you're dealing with rust on roses time that spray a couple weeks before you normally see the problem and that's what will help prevent it it almost forms like a shield on the plant and you want to reapply that uh, according to directions which is usually on a weekly or bi-weekly basis so so you'll have to apply it throughout the season, and that's where you're going to notice the effect. Once you see the fungus on there, it's really too late. Your main goal at that point is to contain that fungus and stop it from from spreading and getting further and further on the plant or to other plants in the yard. So so yeah, the key for fungicides is get on it early, um, as soon as you can, and and be consistent with it. And that's how you really control fungus with fungicides.
2: The other thing I would say about shot hole disease, too, is it's primarily cosmetic. Um, your tree's... The pictures you sent of these trees, they look very healthy, especially considering they were planted in that heat wave last year. Um, it's a very hot, dry summer. Shot hole. Um, if you look closely enough at any prunus species, you're going to find a leaf or two with shot hole. As long as it's not to the point where it's completely defoliating your tree and, and affecting the way it grows, it is kind of a cosmetic issue. Probably as these trees settle in and get their feet underneath them being freshly planted, uh, you're going to see they'll fight through that and it'll, it'll go away on its own. But you can definitely help support it in this next growing season with that, that sulfur application. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, and you know, if if a tree is ever going through anything, Winston made a good point. You know, once it's established, it'll help fight it. And, you know, help it along. You know, if we have periods where we don't have moisture, you know, give it some moisture, fertilize it regularly, use either an organic fertilizer around the base of that tree or do some water soluble fertilizer. Support that tree. The healthier the tree is, the more likely it will be to, to fight diseases on its own. And don't expect a perfect landscape. You know, that's just not realistic. A lot of times you're not gonna have every leaf be perfect and, and all that. As long as a tree is healthy. And and reasonably healthy and happy. If you have a few leaves that are discolored, if you have a few bugs on there, um, it's it's not the end of the world. You want to control things as you need to, but yeah, just just keep in mind that that nature isn't perfect, so you you will get the odd uh, the odd issue on those plants. Um, we do have another text here. Uh, I'm trying to reroute a ZZ plant. Uh, one group uh, says to use perlite and water, and the other says to use water alone. Um, how long should I see? How long before I should see new growth? And and maybe some tips on what would you do when. And to actually get these to root
2: yeah so for rerouting something that is like very much a dry climate and an arid thing like a ZZ plant I, I don't think i'd ever do water um i you could use a soilless media like perlite and just often flush water through it but i think its best bet would be to plant it into the media you want to grow it in in the long run uh in the smallest pot, it fits in possible, and then step it up in sizes as those new roots grow in. To encourage rooting, you can either, like um, like you might do with cutting sometimes, you can supply consistent water and a plant will start to grow roots that are very adapted to water, but those don't transition very well to... Soil. The other way to convince something to root, uh, especially if it's something that you're rerooting, as in it lost its roots, is it needs proper dry cycles between wet cycles to be like, oh hey, I have to send out roots to find the moisture I need. And especially something like Azizi that does not tolerate constant moisture, I, I wouldn't root it in water.
4: Yeah, Winston brought up a good point. If you give the plant everything it needs, uh, it it doesn't work, right? It doesn't put any work in on its own. You know, just like when we say watering your lawn and. In- in, in summer, you know, water really deeply and let it dry out in between waterings so that we encourage the rooting to go deep. Same with uh, same with when you're trying to root something. You know, don't let it dry out completely. Maybe, you know, put a dome on it or cover it somehow so that it, the, it's not drying out. But give it that dry cycle. Force it to put the work and force it to find the water and you'll have a healthier plant. And the biggest key, like Winston said, is step the pot sizes up. People go, well, I have a cutting or I have a plant. I have the finished pot that I want to put it in. I'm just going to plant it directly in that pot. Uh, that's not the way to do it there's way too much moisture in that soil the plant is not going to use it you're going to run into things like fungus nut issues you're going to run into root rot so always gradually step those pot step those potting that pot up in size as needed and put it in this like you said the smallest pot it can fit in people think you know well you know if, if i had a, a pet fish or a pet hamster the bigger the cage the better for plants it's the opposite keep them as tight as you can and that's when you actually have them perform
2: yeah, I always think about indoor pot sizes kind of like um, like baby shoes or kids shoes. Like, you only go up one size at a time. Whereas, like, outdoor plants, we're used to taking these little, really fast-growing annuals with these fibrous roots and sticking them in as much space or even in the ground, and they take off. But things perform very differently outside in ideal conditions um, than... Things that are indoors we can kind of have to baby them a little bit more
4: i, l- I like that baby shoes analogy i am going to steal that yeah i you know i can't buy my kids adult shoes they're just it's just not gonna work right so that's that's a great analogy analogy there Winston. Uh, a couple more texts we'll get to here before the end of the show uh hello gentlemen great show i'm moving into a new house lots of light with southern windows the kitchen cupboards have that space at the top no direct sun but lots of light what would be an easy vining plant for up there i want to fill the space
2: Yeah, so if you have lots of, of, of indirect light, you're looking at those lower light plants for sure. I think the easiest one people often go for is just your your simple golden pothos. Um, the green leaf versions of the pothos tolerate lower light very well. And same with the heart leaf philodendron, um, the green one, the lime versions of both those plants need a lot higher light to perform well. But if you just go with your, your simple golden, your kind of spotted pothos should do really well up there. And they're super easy to propagate. I've seen a lot of people have have kind of them up on, on top of that, that wall between the kitchen and the living room or, or down the stairwell or on top of the kitchen cupboards that, that should do, do well for you for sure. Um, there's another continued text here is that, uh, it's a new home built this fall and, it's basically just in a pasture with all the trenching and digging for utilities. There's lots of dirt trench paths, etc. though the pasture grass that was already there. Uh, when can I seed and what kind of seed? I have no idea what kind of grass is there now. Chances are you got like an interesting pasture mix there, fescue and Timothy and, and all sorts of things. So I would go with like a, a wider species mix, like a blend of Kentucky blue and, and your rye grass, maybe fescue too and uh, seed as early as possible. Why is that important, Aaron?
4: <laughs> Yeah, seed as early as you can, and ideally maybe you would have seeded in fall. Obviously, it's too late for that. Seed as early as you can because you need to keep that seed moist for 30 days. And going if you seed too late, going into July and August, keeping that seed moist for, for 30 days straight is almost impossible. You really want to seed as soon as you can get out there and work the ground. I know you don't want to create footprints in that, but I mean, do your best. Get out there as soon as possible. As soon as the snow melts, sow the seed down. If you have more snow that falls on top of that seed, if we Get a late snow. Not a big deal. The seed will will actually enjoy it, and you know what? Spring we usually have a little bit wetter weather, so that's that is great for your for your seed as well. So, so yeah, uh, that just about wraps up our, our show for the day. Uh, we do appreciate everyone listening and and working through uh through kind of our, our technical difficulties there. It is the first time hosting it here at Greenland. We're on a mobile setup now. We're usually in the studio, so we do appreciate all the feedback issues and the wrong number issues. Hopefully, the next few weeks will go will go a lot smoother. Uh, we do also want to thank our listeners on uh, let's talk gardening at 770 chqr in calgary we did have a few callers from calgary it was nice to see that that people were listening i hope you join us uh the next few weeks too while uh, your regular host Murrow combs is away and like i said before if you don't like us well he's coming back so (laughs) you'll be okay um yeah so thanks for joining us again i just wanted to mention that greenland is now open again we have all of our seeds our nice new tropical plants so So, yeah, thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks, everybody. Uh, Keep on gardening, mostly indoors these days, and and have fun.